I got this. I'll cover it. <laughs> Amen. Are you happy to be here this evening? <laughs> Somebody left this hanging. <laughs> Amen. Can you give my hand clap of praise? Late to the party. <laughs> Amen. It's good to be in the house of the Lord tonight. Amen. We had a good service this morning. Kind of wore me out. Sometimes after those long, not long, but all those songs, I know I'm not singing to myself, but let me tell you, some of those are some breathtakers and they can wear you out worse than just sitting there listening to preaching wears me out sometimes. Dad jumping. I'm like, shoo, I burned a hundred calories just listening to him, but it was a good service. I'm just kidding. Don't hurt me. But it was a good service this morning. I noticed that every time it seems every Sunday morning has just gotten better and better. And I noticed how at the offering time, the last few it had been hidden. But today I noticed it was as soon as church started. So I'm like, okay, maybe these people came in equipped this morning. <laughs> they pushed it all to the side and said, I'm coming in here to worship. And that's what we should do every step. And I'm not saying that nobody has problems because we do. We face things. We go through circumstances, trials. But that's part of life. You can't sit down and quit. You can't give up. We, we have difficulties, families, problems, sickness, disease. Adam's mom's sick. Pray for people. Don't just throw them to the curb. Pray for them. Yes, and we'll pray for them when we pray. But pray for those people that are sick. You don't know what someone has going on, so don't jump down their throats before you know. And there's nothing wrong with encouraging people to come, but there's a way to go about it. Amen. But I'm just glad that we're here, and we need to reach more people and get more people involved in coming to church. Reach out to people. There's many people that don't know that need to know. And the only way they can find out is if people like us share with them. Mad, glad, or sad, at least you tried. Amen. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, God, we ask right now, Lord, that you would touch Adam, Lord, his family, his mom, God, that you would go to her right where she is, Lord, that your presence would fill that place, God, that you would use Adam in a great way to minister to his family members, God, to her, Lord, that she would have peace in her heart, Lord, knowing that no matter what happens, God, you're in control, Lord, so we ask that you would heal her body, God, give her a miracle, Lord, touch her in a great and mighty way, God. We ask that you would touch everyone here, God, that your presence would be felt, Lord, that you would move, Lord, in a great way, not just on Sunday mornings, Lord, but that we would come in expecting on Sunday night, Wednesday, Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, God, every other day counts, Lord, not just these certain days, Lord, that we would put it into practice every day that we live, God, that your presence would move and reign in us day in and day out, Lord, rain or shine, Lord, time zone or no time zone, God. We know that you're always on time, no matter what the time says, no matter what the times of this life are showing us, God. There's one greater whose shoes he's not worthy to loose, and you will come one day and reign forever and ever, God, that these trials we go through now are just a little taste, God, but we will press on and press through for the mark of the high calling of God, Lord, that when we go to heaven, what a day that will be, and everything we've been through will be worth it all. In Jesus' name, and we pray, amen and amen. Well, God is good. Yep, he is. He's good all the time. My God is good. You know he is. He's good all the time. And you can search the whole world over. No greater friend you'll find. He's not good just once in a while. He's good all the time. Now we've all had friends who let us down. You know what I'm talking about. At the very first sign 
are nowhere to be found. Well, Jesus stays when others go. He'll never leave your side. Well, he's your friend in stormy weather because he's good all the time. My God is good. Yes, he is. He's good all the time. God is good. You know he is. He's good all the time. You can search the whole world over. No greater friend you'll find. He's not good just once in a while. He's good all the time. He's the one you call in the middle of the night when your body moans with pain. And don't worry about that wayward child. He's heard you call their name. He'll put food in your kitchen when you don't have a time. Well, he's not good just now and then, but he's good all the time. My God is good. Yes, he is. Oh, he's good all the time. God is good. You know he is. He's good all the time. You can search the whole world over. No greater friend you'll find. He's not good just once in a while. He's good all the time. He's the one you call in the middle of the night when your body moans with pain. Don't you worry about that away word, child. He's heard you call their name. He'll put food on your table when you don't have a time. He's not good just now and then, but he's good all the time. I know my God is good. Yes, he is. He's good all the time. God is good. You know he is. He's good all the time. You can search the whole world over and no greater friend you'll find. He's not good just once in a while. He's good all the time. God rides on the water. He rides on the flood. There ain't no power from hell that's going to stop God's wings of love. You can. 
the children of Israel trapped at the Red Sea by that mean old Pharaoh and his army. They had a water all around them and Pharaoh at their back. Oh, but out of nowhere my God stepped in and built a highway just like that. Let me tell you, he's an on-time God. Oh, yes, he is. Oh, on-time God. Yes, he is. Job said he may not come when you want him. I know he'll be there right on time. He's an on-time God. Yes, he is. You can ask the 5,000 hungry souls he fed On the banks of the river With two fish and five loaves of bread Well, what a miracle He performed for the multitude I know what he did way back then Praise the Lord. Speaking of on time, I had a little story I want to tell you tonight. See this little thing right here? This is my tie bar. 
It's my little gold chain tie, boy. I've had this about as long as I've been saved since we went to our first camp meeting, I guess. They used to sell them at the ministry down there, like $20, $20 $25 a piece. They're probably 100, 150 bucks now if you could get one. They don't sell them anymore. So I've had this thing all this time, all these years. And several times I've misplaced this thing. And I think every time I do it, I think I've lost it. I'm never going to see it again. I mean, I, between here and church and home, usually maybe if I go eat, but I've always, you know, try to take it off. Sometimes I might stick it in my pants pocket, pull it out later and put it up or put it on the office desk. Well, I don't know, three or four months ago, it was gone. I thought, and I looked, I went through my closet, I pulled all my pants out, shook them, checked my pockets, everything, went through the other closet, I said, it's gone this time, I'm not going to see it. I guess it's I, it's really gone now, I'm, forget it. Well, yesterday, I thought, you know, I'm going to go to the car wash and clean my car up, and uh the outside wasn't too bad, but I, you know, the inside needed to be clean, but I just felt this compulsion to go. I didn't really even want to go, but I felt this compulsion. Just go do it anyway. I didn't even want to spend the money, but, so I went to the car wash, washed the car, and got inside, so I needed to clean the inside real, real good. Started cleaning everything out of the inside and my side door. I started pulling cards and stuff out of the side door, and I seen a little sparkle of something sitting down in the corner, and I said, what is that? And I looked, and I saw the edge of that thing. I said, it can't be. Are you serious? Are you, are you is it, is it really? I got it again. I thought it was gone. The Lord, I believe the Lord helped me to let me go to that car wash yesterday to do that and thoroughly go through that car. Otherwise, I don't know if I'd been that thorough. And there that thing was. I love that thing. It means something to me. I've had it for all these years. But just go show you how the Lord, you know, just when you think it's over with, look what the Lord does. When you think something's gone, the Lord says, oh, I got it. I got control of it. Now, I'll try not to misplace it again. You may hear this story six months from now, a year from now, maybe not. But hopefully you don't. But just thought it was interesting that the Lord helped me to find it again. Amen. So if you're lost tonight, the Lord can find you. If you lost something, the Lord can help you to find it. Amen. Praise God. Let's take up the offering tonight and thank you all for those that help us through the Internet. Those of you here, we pray that the Lord will bless you. And continue to move. We had a good service this morning. We'll have a good one tonight. Miss Grace is going to be ministering. I know you're going to be blessed. Stay in your seat. Keep the computer on and get ready to praise God and get ready to hear the Word of God. We want to say thank you to all those watching. Adam sent a message, as Michaela mentioned earlier today, asked to pray for his mom because she's not doing so well. But God is still in control. Amen. God is still in control. So we're going to ask Him to touch her and to let His will be done. And all of this, and I know that their family will be blessed through this one way or the other. Lord, we come to you tonight. We thank you for every person here tonight, for those that are watching, Lord, those that need to hear your word tonight. Lord, I pray again, we pray for Adam's mother, Lord, that you touch her. Lord, we just know that you're the one that can heal her. You're the one that can do what needs to be done. But, Lord, we know you have a will. And, Lord, I believe that your will for some things to take place through this, Lord, that you deal with people, that you bring people to know you, Lord. And I just ask you, Lord, to give them grace and mercy. Touch every family member in that family, God, and let Jesus Christ be glorified through this, God. We ask you, again, to touch everybody here tonight, those watching, those listening. Lord, those that need healing in their bodies, you're still the healers. Those that are lost can be found by the power of God. And Lord, we ask you tonight to have your way in this church. In Jesus' name, amen.
Her life, it was real. 
Praise the Lord. Amen. Miss Grace is going to minister to us tonight. Open up your hearts. You know, I, I just want to say that I'm so thankful for these ladies. You know, the Lord brought, how long y'all been here now? How many years y'all been here now in this church? Ten years. Right? Ten years? My goodness. i never forget when they came and they come, they started coming to church. I was doing a live stream program sitting in that corner. Y'all remember that? And they come in and join me on Saturday morning. And we met them, and I thought, man, I like these people. And then, you know, we were, Michaela just started singing when she was young and everything, and we didn't have any music in the church or anything. She come to me one day, she said, I just want to let you know, you know, that if you ever need any help, I, I play a piano. I've been playing since I was just a little girl. I was like, what? Where have you been? So she started playing. The rest is history, and she started ministering. I felt like the Lord wanted me to ask her to minister and she's always a blessing to us, so we love you, Miss Grace, and Lisa, too. Well, I have to tell you the truth, because when we moved, I had been uh, playing piano since I was six or seven in church. I guess I was 71 when we moved here, and I said, I think I've done my part, Lord, over the years. And you know what happened after that? We came to church, and the Holy Spirit tried to irritate He didn't try. He irritated me. 
And uh, I got to the point where I said, okay, Lord, if you really want me to do this, today I want the pastor to ask, announce that I need somebody to play this piano. Now, all the times we were here, he never said a word about the piano. That morning, before we started the service, he said, if anybody's here who can play the piano, we need help, you know. Oh, I said, Lord, okay. <laughs> Well, you see, don't tell the Lord that you're uh, tired, and don't tell the Lord that you don't want to do it. I remember one prayer meeting. I had been at work, and the whole day, and everything went absolutely wrong. And it was a Friday night, and we had prayer meetings scheduled when I was pastoring the church. And I said to the Lord, you know, I said, I'm going to just about make it tonight. I said, but you know what? I said, I'm just going to go sit in the corner, and I'm going to pray quietly. Do you know, we had about 25 or 30 people at that prayer meeting, and the Lord had me get up and give everybody in that prayer meeting a word from him. So I don't say those things anymore. You see, you have to learn. Hopefully, we don't stay stupid for too long, you know. It took the Israelites 40 years to go through the, through the desert, so sometimes it takes us a long time. I used to tell my congregation, learn, this, learn the lessons quickly so you can move on to something else. Let's say a prayer. Heavenly Father, we come to you tonight in the name of Jesus. And Father, open our eyes to see your word. Open our ears to hear your word. Open our minds to understand what you have for us, Lord. And we pray, Lord, that you will open our hearts so that we will receive your word, so that we may apply it to our lives, Father. We apply everything else to our lives, but we pray that you will help us to apply your words to our lives, Lord, and help us to grow spiritually. And Jesus, we pray that you will help us to hunger and thirst for more of you, to have a close personal relationship with you, an intimate relationship with you, Jesus, to follow you in your ways, to serve you, and uh, to have, have an understanding that Jesus is all we need. And in thy name, all God's people said, amen and amen. Well, the title for my message tonight is, Jesus is all I need. And uh, about a year and a half ago, Lisa and I put a sign as you enter our property on either side of the driveway. And uh, at first, the signs uh, were on a very thin metal frame. And uh, they were getting twisted from the rain and from the wind. So we called Brian, and Brian came over the house, and he made two beautiful, sturdy uh, uh, things, frames that we could put the signs into. Now... I want you to know, when people call, they said, "Uh, where's your house and we're coming to drop off or do something? I say to them, oh, you have no problem finding ours because there's a sign on either side of the driveway saying, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. That is John 14, 16. Now, when they come onto the property, some people say nothing. Some people smile. Then there's others, and it starts a whole conversation. So you see, in fact, in uh, Jimmy Swaggart's uh, uh, commentary, he says, this verse proclaims in no uncertain terms exactly who and what Jesus is. 
He is declaring positively that his idea of God as father, this approach to God for every man is through him and through what he is and what he has done. So in our community, we have established our belief system. What about each of you? What do you believe about Jesus? Could we have a conversation of who Jesus is to you? You don't have to talk to me. You can talk to the Lord about that. Talk to your neighbor. Talk to whoever needs to be. I, I want, uh, I hope you remember <clears throat> that when uh, Princess Diana was uh, killed in that car crash, uh, there had been a book put out just before that crash by one of the biographers in England. He was considered one of the best, Andrew Morgan. And he wrote her biography. And the royal family, after that, got very upset because things that were said in there, they didn't like. So he said that he had gotten all this information uh, from her closest friends. But when she was killed in that car crash in Paris, his book was re-released because this time he revealed that the true source of his information had not been from her friends, but had been from her directly. And he then proceeded to produce the hours of taped conversations that he had with the princess as proof. And then also the letter which she signed giving him permission to say that if anything happened to her, he could tell everybody that she was the source of that book. Well, he re-released the book, and guess what happened? Hundreds of thousands of people bought copies of that book. Now, you see the difference was that were the things that Diana's closest friends had said, but then when the book was re-released, it was what she said exactly. It was her testimony. You see, last week we heard Mildred give her testimony. Each of you should have your own testimony of what God has done. You don't have to have the same testimony as everybody else. And, I, and then I'll know it's not true because every one of us is unique and different to the Lord. I know people have uh, said, oh, I don't want to talk to people about Jesus. And I used to tell them, is there any way, they used to ask me, is there any way that I could really find a way to a minister to testify about Jesus? Just tell them what he's done for you. Very simply, just tell them what your life was like without him and tell them this is what Jesus has done for me. Now, I've all, over the years, I've heard people give uh, testimonies of how Jesus has changed their lives, how he led them, guided them, and protected them, and how he delivered them. Now, the title, as I told you, the message tonight, Jesus is all I need. And I pray that by the time we finish <clears throat> this message tonight, that you can all say that Jesus is not all I need. And I pray that each and every one of us here in the congregation, those are listening and watching on live streaming, will make Jesus personal to you. Jesus talked about the personal relationship between a husband and a wife. And that's the kind of relationship he wants to have with us. That is what he wants, that close, intimate relationship. Now, do you remember the man in the Bible who was born blind and then Jesus healed him? The Pharisees were not very happy about that. 
So they kept hounding him. How did this happen? Were you really born blind? Are you just a pretender? What is going on? They even brought in the parents. Now, he wasn't a kid. He was an adult, this man. And they said, he's old enough. Ask him himself. He said, all I know is once I was blind and now I see. Isn't that the words to the song of Amazing Grace? You know, I once was blind, but now I see. And that's not only in the physical, but that's in the spiritual for those of us who are Christians. You see, can see that uh, there are books out there about Jesus. Some are very romantic. Some are, I guess we would say fictional, what somebody's mind thought up. Some are very modern. Some are critical. Even some of the TV series. I know people say to me, oh, did you watch this TV? series, I say no, because I gave up on those, because they really are not at all accurate, and they, they fill in. They have like a little line here, and then the rest of it is all filler. So it, it, and it, the filler isn't even what was happening at that time. So I tell them I don't bother. In fact, I had a, a young girl in uh, New Jersey who, who cut my hair, and she had asked me, uh, We were, there was a whole a group of Jesus a series on, and she said to me, she said, are you watching this series? I said, no. I said, no. I said, I said, I said, I read the word. I said, and that tells me exactly what it is. Well, one day she was going to wash, she was washing my hair, and she bent down over the sink, and she said to me, she said, what was this thing that they had on the show last night? I said, I didn't watch it. Well, it was the part where Nicodemus went to Jesus at night. She started to give me a couple. I said, oh, was the man's name Nicodemus? She said, yeah. I said, did he go to Jesus and ask, what must I do to be born again? She said, yes. I said, you know, when you all make fun of those born agains, that's where it's at in the Bible. Now, this young lady would read in the Catholic Church on Sunday the word of God. And I said to her, go check out these chapters and see it's in the Bible. So you see, uh, there is a big difference between what people say about Jesus and what he said about himself and what you and I should know about him. And I hope that you just don't read your most favorite parts of the Bible. I would say that most people stop at the Psalms. They don't bother with the other stuff. Everybody can tell you their favorite Psalm. But you see, if you don't read the entire book, of the Bible, the books in the Bible, you don't have an entire picture. It's like getting a piece of a picture here and there. You know, when people have eyesight problems, well, I can't see this clearly, that clearly. But when you read the entire book, you're getting an entire picture of who Jesus is because if you know, Jesus is there from Genesis to Revelation. So when you read the entire Bible, you will notice that certain Themes, certain things keep repeating over and over again. And those are the things that we need to apply to our lives. Now, let me just give you a couple of examples of what I'm talking about. <clears throat> Do you remember the passage in the Bible of Anna and Simeon who waited in the temple for years for the coming of the Messiah? Now, Simeon was promised by God that he was not going to die until he had seen the Messiah. And when Jesus was 40 days old, Mary and Joseph brought him to the temple. And the Holy Spirit said to Simeon, go over to that couple. That ba-. Now, you remember, 
If you read through what happens at the temple, there were lots of couples there with their babies who were about that age. But the Holy Spirit said to him, go over to that couple, and that's the Messiah. Now, what about Anna? Do you know she was 84 years old at this time? She had been a widow for many years. Her husband died after they were married only seven years. Now, from what we know of history, young girls in Bible times got married at 13 and 14. So from the time she was 13 or 14 till she was 84, she worked in the temple. And in the Bible, it tells us that she prayed and she fasted. So that should give us a a good hint of what people need to be doing. And I'm quite sure... You know, it doesn't say it in the word of God, and this is my uh, uh, assumption. There, there must have been days when Anna and Simeon said to each other, are we waiting here? Are we doing the right thing? Did the Holy Spirit give us the right information? Oh, maybe this is never going to happen. But you know what they did? They persevered. They persevered. The pastor was talking about that this morning. You're in the middle of an emotional mess. Persevere. Continue to do it. How, how about Paul and Peter and uh, John, Jeremiah and Elijah? The passion they had for Christ, no matter what they went through, their passion never fizzled. The last couple of times I ministered here, I spoke about uh, in the book of Revelation, which is really the book that Jesus has given us the prophecy. Uh, I talked about tribulation. I talked about the second coming. I talked about the millennial kingdom. But you see, I don't know if you're aware of it or not. John was excommunicated to the Isle of Patmos. You know, we always say, oh, John did, uh, wrote the book from the Isle of Patmos. You know why? He was there because they, they, the powers that be, hated him. They wanted him to shut up about this Jesus. So they boiled him in oil to kill him. And you will find that information in a book called Fox's Book of Martyrs. And you see, he did not die. Now, you would have said, wow, he was boiled in oil. Can you imagine what a mess he was? And now God is using him for this prophetic ending to the end of the world. So since he did not die, they banished him to the Isle of Patmos, and he did not fizzle out. Now, to the young people here in the church tonight, I'm quite sure you all know about Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Do you know that they were taken into captivity out of their nice, stable homes for 70 years? And the history tells us that they may have been anywhere from 13 to 20 years of age. So how would you like it, young people, if somebody came in, took you out of your house, you were never to see your family again, and you were put into captivity? That's what they went through. And you know all the stories of the fiery furnace. And do you know that Daniel was 80 years old when they threw him in the lion's den? And he continued on with the things of the Lord. How about others you have met in your lifetime? I've met a lot of people, people who fizzled out, but there were people who stood firm for the things of the Lord, even when they went through horrible times. Because even though... I, uh, you have to understand that if you're really sitting here in church, or maybe you're watching 
from a motel room this program tonight. I don't know where you're at. Maybe you're in a bar. Who knows? Because sometimes things get put on. Many testimonies happened. I remember reading somebody who worked for the ended up uh, working for Billy Graham. She had her head in the oven to kill herself. And she had put her television on just not to make any noise so that the neighbors would know. And who happened to come on as she was trying to kill herself? Billy Graham. And she it caught her attention. So I don't know. You don't know where people are. You don't know what people are doing when they hear the message. I pray that God will understand and help them. You see, the answer to everything that we need, Jesus is the way. And let me tell you, the answer is, yes, he is the way. Now, let me uh, give you a little story. Now, up, up north, many years ago, the pastors, now they didn't always have Sunday school for the kids like we have here. And we had in our church a Sunday school every Sunday for the, our, our Sunday school classes. But this was a, we had pastors who had a few of the children. So what they would do, they would bring the children to the front and they would give a little story about approximately what is going, they were going to hear that day. But one of the ones that really stood out, it was a pastor who during church uh, service started saying, he said, I'm going to describe something for you children. And he said, and when you know exactly who it is and what it is, raise your hand. So he said, and the kids said, oh, yeah, we'll do that, pastor. And this, it's, he said, this thing lives in trees and eats nuts. And he got quiet. No hand got raised. And he said, well, it's gray, and it has a long, bushy tail. And it went quiet again. And the children looked at each other. Finally, one little boy had the courage. He said, well, pastor, he said, I know the answer has to be Jesus, but it sure sounds like a squirrel to me. (laughs) You see, we program people what they have to say and how they have to say it. The Lord's given you a mind. Use it properly. And in the church, we're always expected to answer that Jesus is there for all our spiritual questions. But do we really know why? If you don't read the word of God, if you don't understand, as that uh, one when uh, Philip was talking to that person who was going to get baptized with water, he said, if there's somebody here who's not going to explain it to me, how am I going to know? And is Jesus the only way to God? And what about other religions? People ask this. Oh, Islam, Hinduism, Buddhism, Judaism, all the, are these other religions wrong? What about those people who say, well, you know, all religions are basically the same idea, but with different names. No, that's not the truth. There are people who's going to say, if you have to understand, and I'm going to ask you this, what if question, I It may be hanging in your head tonight. How long would your faith, how long would my faith in Christ have remained strong if we had been boiled in oil to be killed for the name of Jesus Christ? Don't go telling me I would do this, that, and the other thing because you don't really know. I remember years ago a minister saying that we Christians believe that we are being totally martyred when the elevator at the mall goes out. It's true. Listen to the griping and complaining that goes on. That's because they feel, I'm being so harshly martyred over here. Our goal as Christians should not be to have burnout 
but to burn on and on and on for the Lord. I had a, a little thing that I had to put on my refrigerator many years ago. I have it on my computer now. And you have to, you have to find a way. How are you going to live? How are you going to do things in this life? You have the choice. You have a choice. Everybody has a choice. Well, you know, Sister Grace, I may be suffering. Yeah, you do. But you have to say, Lord, you're going to have to help me through this. Now, this is this little, little sign that I had. It says, life should not be a journey to the grave with the intention of arriving safely in a pretty and well-preserved body, but rather to skid in broadside in a cloud of smoke, thoroughly used up, totally worn out, and boldly proclaiming, wow, what a ride. Is that how you're going to go to heaven? How are you going to go? It's your choice. It always is your choice. You can sit here and moan and complain and say, I had to go to church. I have to do this. I have to do that. Say, thank you, Jesus, that I can do it. You see, uh, who is my Jesus? Who is your Jesus? And let's face it. Our world is bombarded with lies, deceit, hypocrisy, greed, fraud, and we can go on and on and on. We used to have in, New Jer- in the New Jersey, New York area, there was a conservative man. He was in the New York City area. He had come from California, which at first, when Ralph and I heard him, we said, wow, could anything good come out of California? <laughs> and he had a call-in radio show for a couple of hours, and he was very, very conservative. And uh, he had a couple of little taglines. When people would call him, and they and at first they would make it sound as if they were very conservative. Then by the questions they asked, he would say to them, oh, get this fake, phony fraud off my phone. And then at the end of his uh, uh, time on the radio, he said, our world is getting sick and sicker. How many times Lisa and I say to each other, oh, this country's getting sick and sicker. And uh, look at all the fake, phony, phony for You heard what, uh, what uh, Adam said this morning about even the pictures, the phony pictures that they're sending out, making it look like this is real, that's real. It's not real. So you just close off the TV and you say, okay, we'll do what we have to do. Look what's happening in our military. Absolute mess. Look what's happening in our economy. Absolute mess. Our health care, the insurance companies just last week let some of the people know that uh, had Blue Cross Blue Shield, they were saying, oh, yeah, we paid doctors to let people die. Hmm. Just read a couple of days uh, ago, we saw that the doctors now, because people have stopped going to doctors, or when they go to the doctors, they're nasty to the doctors, they're saying, well, it was the nurse's fault. Have you ever seen a doctor say, let the nurse make a decision for this diagnosis? All my years, I've never seen that. But now they're trying to throw the nurses under the bus. What about the education system? (laughs) What about what's happened to our borders? What's happened to our families? What has happened to our freedoms? Now, I don't know if you know it or not, but on November the 16th, a man is going to court in England. Why? Because he stood in front of an abortion clinic. He prayed to himself. 
There were no signs, no screaming, no hollering, nothing. And you know what they're going to try him for? Thought police, what he thought. Okay, now you say, well, that's in England. Do you know what happens in, uh, same, around the same time as happening now here from Washington, D.C.? There were two women, a 72-year-old and a 75-year-old. They are now going to court in Washington, D.C. Why? Because they prayed in front of an abortion clinic. No signs, no screaming. And if they lose this court case, they can spend 10 years in prison. They are being convicted for their thoughts, their thoughts. And when we heard of the thought police, Lisa and I said, our thoughts, God said, are not your thoughts. That's it. Now, now I know you all have telephones, right? Uh, mine's in my uh, bag. But I'm, going, I'm just going to tell you, a couple of weeks ago, now you know every morning at 6 o'clock we pray. We have a special prayer time that we, if anybody calls in, they know, it's, they need prayer. If people from where she works or wherever, they, they call in and we put them on the prayer list. So a couple of weeks ago, I said to Lisa, we were reading uh, some information that people are listening to our phone conversations. So the one morning she got up and I, I started the prayer and I said, oh, for those of you listening on your phone this morning, we welcome you to our 6 a.m. prayer meeting. And I started bringing a salvation message. I said, I don't know where you are in the world, but I know that Jesus loves you. He died for you on the cross. Now it's up to you to make the right decision. I do that every, I know you think I'm crazy, but that's okay. I, it doesn't matter. It doesn't bother me because I know maybe one person will get saved hearing that. And they're all different people all over. Now, what has happened to our churches? You heard Pastor Thomas talk about that this morning. You know, these, this twists, what happens in our churches is twisting the perception of people and who Jesus is. We have made Jesus so small, but you see, Jesus makes God visible to us. Jesus is bigger than you and I think because the Bible tells us he is eternal. He is equal in the Trinity. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Ever. And we are now living in a world that is not biblically centered, but man-centered or world-centered. Everyone has been deluded. They all believe they are God's. And we forget that Jesus is the source of our life. He created us. He created you. He created you listening there. In fact, I read a statistic that during the uh, pandemic, that when people were isolated from their, in, in their houses, that's where everybody stayed. Most of the people stayed in their houses. Few people went outside. We were fortunate we had church here. But when the polls asked the people, if they were Christians, if they read the Bible, if they prayed. Do you know what the percentage went from? From 35% down to 9%. That's a bad drop-off. You see, no one prayed or even bothered to read the Bible. 
during that pandemic time. And we forget that Jesus is the sustainer of our lives. Remember that laminin I talked about the last time I, I ministered here? Laminin is that little bit of stuff that holds ourselves together. And we think we're holding ourselves together? Forget about it. He is the sustainer of our lives. We are just a dot on the planet. That's where we're at. Can you see it from there? No, I don't think you can. Because we think we're so significant. We all think we're so important. And we are just a dot on this entire planet. Let me give you an illustration that truly happened at Chicago O'Hare Airport. They had to get all the passengers off the plane because there were uh, storms in the area that they were going to. And uh, there's rules. We, we had been on one of those planes one, one time. We were coming back uh, home, and we couldn't get home because there were storms where we were going. There were storms where we were at. And when uh, the staff who's worked over 12, 13 hours, they can't work anymore. So then you're not allowed to go on that plane. You have to sleep over and stay where you're at. So they told all the people, please go to the agents and they they will uh, help you to get the next flights tomorrow morning so we can get you all home. Well, <clears throat> at O'Hare, there was this one arrogant man who pushed to the head of the line. And he said to the clerk, screaming at the top of his lungs, do you know who I am? Meaning that he must have been someone important. And he shouted because he wanted to have the ability to move ahead of that line and get his changes taken care of first. You know what the agent did? He got on the microphone and he said, does anyone know who this man is? We laugh, but he did that. But it's the truth. We all think of who we are, and we're nothing. In fact, the time that we had delay, there was one man who did the same exact thing at the O'Hare airport. He was screaming and hollering that he had to get home. He ended up, the next morning, was on the same flight we were on. He screamed, and I've got to get home. I've got to get home. Like they were going to clear the weather for him. And that's what we think we are. You see, our world is living in spiritual darkness. Uh, try saying that evil is now ruling the world. Try saying that we are separated from Christ. See what happens. Or when we say, oh, you know, I belong to Jesus. I'm a child of the king. And uh, that we are to have integrity. We are to have morality. We are to be pure. And we're supposed to have his holiness, his righteousness, his truthfulness, his goodness, and uh, his grace. Do you think anybody would believe you? I'll tell you what they'll do. They'll laugh at you. They'll tell you, you're a fanatic. Now, if you go to the Vols game, hundreds of thousands all sitting or standing together. No six-foot separation there. That is, And that is supposedly fun. They are such great fanatics. They love it. Half of them painted orange, half of them with their hair orange, whatever. Whatever they can show that they are a good fan. Now, I don't really watch football. When Ralph was around, he used to watch football, and sometimes I would watch it with him. But I happened to be at my car dealership in Chattanooga on a Saturday, and uh, they had the pregame 
for the Vols right there in the, where we were all sitting waiting. And they had hundreds of thousands waiting outside the arena. And I said to Lisa, I said, why don't they go take their seats and sit inside? Oh, she said, no, this is the new thing. I said, the new what? She said, oh, everybody stays outside. They keep them there. And then when they have the, uh, uh, football players come on, then everybody fills the stadium. You know what it looked like to me? A bunch of cattle when they are taking them to slaughter. Mm-hmm. Oh, but that they are good fanatics. But we Christians, we are crazy fanatic for Jesus. They laugh at us and they mock us. Now, we had the same thing up in New Jersey because we were near the New York area. We weren't that far from there. And when uh, the bands were going to come and uh, you have to go get your tickets right away, people would sleep on the concrete, whether it was raining, freezing, sleeting, snowing, whatever it was doing, they would sit there and wait so they could be first online to get their tickets. And I used to say to my congregation, I said, I wonder if we put that, would they run to church and wait outside for us to start service? Well, I can tell you the answer is no, they're not going to do it. So what does your Bible say? We Christians are supposed to be the light of the, in this darkness. Well, you know, in the summer, you know how those moths and insects are attracted to the light? You keep on the light at night on your porches, and you see by the next day you got a whole bunch of bugs and stuff. People are supposed to be attracted to Jesus because of us. So can people see Jesus in us, in our lifestyles? Now, I'm talking about the way we live our lives. I'm not talking about that you're going to go give, uh, start bringing people to Christ by saying this, this, and that. You know, the apps that everybody has? Do you have this app? Do you have that app? Can anyone tell that we serve Jesus? Do we apply the Bible to our lives? Now, a true story happened in the next county from where the church was. This one couple, they were saved. Uh, There was a husband, a wife, and a couple of children. And the man, for a long time, felt to go talk to his neighbor. So he went and uh, tried talking to the neighbor. He invited him to church. He did everything. This went on for about a year and a half. And then one day, now in New Jersey, we have, all of a sudden, we have these nor'easterns that come in and they rain, it's pouring, it's cold, it's windy, it doesn't matter what time of the year it is, it's like that. So he happened to look out the window. Now, this other man next door, he always refused his neighbor. He said, I'm not going to church, I don't need this Jesus, I don't need anything you do. So he looked out the window and he saw that where the man's gutters were, They were flooding. They were bubbling over, over. And he said to his wife, he said, I'm going to call her because I bet she's got water in her living room. So he called her up and he said to her, he said, do you know, he said, your gutters are are, are, uh, congested up there. You got stuff in them. He said, and you're going to have water. She said, water's coming into the house. So she said, well, do you want me to come on over and help your husband? She said, my husband's afraid to go up on a ladder. So he said, he said, I'll come over and do it. So he got, got all dressed. He went next door and he went and helped clean the gutters. And he said to her, when the rain stops, he said, as long as we clear you from here, he said, I'll come over and I'll clean the rest of your gutters. Guess what happened? That man came over to his neighbor after that. And he said, what time is church on Sunday? I used to tell people, do you have neighbors that need a gutter cleaned out? Maybe they don't need to hear you tell them about Jesus, but maybe you need to show them Jesus.
in your lives. You see, how about you and me? How do we treat Jesus? Jesus forgives us. Yes, he does. You see, we are not ignorant of Jesus, but we have all become a little intolerant of Jesus. We treat Jesus like a divine genie in a bottle. So we think, well, if I rub the bottle just the right way, if I say the prayer just right, if I have the right kind of faith, Jesus will pop up and grant my request. And that is not the truth. And for some of you sitting here tonight, you may, your life may be in a total mess. People are looking and saying, why is God punishing them? What did they do? What did they say? And let me tell you, they may be right in the middle of God's plan. We judge and we're wrong. We're saying, well, you know, they're going through this and maybe that's a problem. And you think, well, I'm blessed. God has helped me with this. And you might be out of God's will. That's why we always have to say, Lord, show us how to do these things. I know as a pastor, I used to hear people over the years, well, you know what? I'll come to your church and I'll give my heart to the Lord after I clean up my act. And then I tell them, well, I guess we'll never see you in church. Because there's nothing that you can do without the help of Jesus to clean up your act. And as Pastor Thomas talked, I said to him this morning, you're going to hear part two of your message tonight. <laughs> I, I said, if we don't step out and say, okay, Lord, I am miserable. Lord, I am a, a lousy sinner. Yes, Lord. And so you have to step out. There's a song we used to sing in church. He's all I need. He's all I need. Jesus is all I need. The second verse says, he's good to me. He's good to me. He's good to me. Jesus is what I need. And then the other verse says, he's life and peace to me. He's life and peace to me. You see, Jesus gives us second chances. He will always give us, I've seen over the years, thousands of chances. And Jesus makes change possible. Now, let me give you some advice from an older woman. You want things to change in your life? Invite Jesus into your lives. Invite Jesus into your marriage. Invite Jesus into your parenting. Invite Jesus into your families. Invite Jesus where you work. Invite Jesus in whatever church. Now, you are here, but there's others <clears throat> looking out there. They're, they're in other churches. Invite Jesus into the church, as Pastor Thomas was talking about this morning when we come in. Now, when we get to a certain point, we, we, we do pray every morning for the church, for the pastors, for all of you here. But when we get to a certain point, when we're coming into church, we start praying for the Holy Spirit to start guiding. I tell Thomas, uh, sometimes he says to me, he asked uh, if I had time to uh, something for tonight. Night, I said to him, pencil me in. Now, you know why I say that? Because a pencil has an eraser. And if the Holy Spirit says, I don't want you to preach tonight, it gets erased. And it's no problem. I can't tell you how many times when I was pastoring the church, all of a sudden we'd have an evangelist walk in, the Holy Spirit would fall, people were getting baptized with the Holy Spirit, and I put the message away, and I'd say, the Lord says you need you needed to hear that. You needed to research that. You need to understand that. You say, you see, I have mentioned before, I think uh, that I've been here, that my uh, father was a pastor. And before I, he pastored the church before I did. 
And uh, he had been, uh, it was uh, something that stuck out in my mind. He had been invited to a special pastor's meeting. And he knew most of the men who had invited him. Now, you have to be careful of where you're going. Well, you say, well, this is good, and that is good, and that one is nice, and that was, you have a Holy Spirit? Ask the Holy Spirit, do I belong going there with them? Do I, should I be there? <clears throat> well, my father had been invited to the, mess, uh, to the meeting, and they said, oh, this wonderful uh, preacher is going to be there. He was from another uh, place. And uh, said, and my father said, he got to the service, and he said, there was nothing in the message. He said, there was no power, no Holy Spirit. And when the prayer came at the end, he said, oh, everybody in the church was, go- was giving praises to this man who was the main speaker. And my father said, He said, I felt nothing in my spirit. He said, what's wrong with me? So he cried in his spirit to the Lord. He said, Father, forgive me. Something must be wrong with me because I can't seem to accept this man and this message that he gave tonight. And the Lord very clearly said to him, I'm not welcomed here either. My father got up and he left that service. Never went back with that group again. You know what A.W. Tozer said? If the Holy Spirit was withdrawn from the church today, 95% of what we do would go on and no one would know the difference. But if the Holy Spirit had been withdrawn from the New Testament church, 95% of what they did would stop and everybody would know the difference. Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, we heard that this morning, we've heard it before, gives us power. And I do not know how people are going to be able to sustain what we are seeing in our environment, in our lives, all these influencers that's going on. How are you going to tell the truth from a lie? How? We go to the Lord. We just say, Lord, if this is not for us, close it. For those of you who have not yet received the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues, you do know it's not only here in church. You get baptized in your home. We had people baptized in their bedrooms. My cousin, she got upset because she wasn't getting baptized, and she went in her bathroom. She started crying. She got a shower and everything. She She got baptized in the Holy Spirit in the shower. If you uh, only knew what you're missing, one person even got baptized uh, in a Catholic church. Uh, She was a Catholic, and she had been coming to our church and hearing about the Holy Spirit, and uh, she was uh, praying, and and every morning before she went to school to teach, she would go to the Catholic church and pray. And this one day she got in there, she started to pray, and she went with her friend, and she said to her friend, we have to go home. She got baptized with the Holy Spirit. You see... You have to be hungering and thirsting for Jesus. That's the only way. My father used to say, "Make believe and know that you're an orphan. I know, we all worry about, do I have a friend, do I have a this, do I have a... You're an orphan. It's just Ralph's favorite song used to be just Jesus and me. We got a good thing going, and that's exactly what it is. <clears throat> now, there was a man in our church who came faithfully to every service. He loved the Lord. And he's now home with the with Jesus. But this night that we had closed the service, 
that man literally could not get out of bed. He was out of, out of his uh, pew, and he's sitting right where uh, uh, Blake is sitting, and he just could not move. So I said to the others, you know, you're dismissed if you don't want to stay. But the others who stayed, we all prayed. And he was like a, we called it a steam engine. He was cold. And he told us, he got baptized with the Holy Spirit that night. But I said to him, what happened? You know, what, what, what was going on? Because we had had prayer service before that, and he didn't, he was praying, but nothing happened. He said, well, I got disgusted because I was not getting baptized with the Holy Spirit. So he said, I said to the Lord, you don't baptize me tonight. Take me home. Then he said, when I couldn't move, he said, I thought, in fact, he said that the Lord was going to take me home. In fact, we had to get one of the other uh, men in the, in the group took him home because he couldn't even drive his car. You see, it is the primary responsibility of the Holy Spirit to glorify Jesus by making us like him in our character, in our commitment, and in our communion. You know, if we do not reflect Jesus, then we are uh, then much less than what God intended us to be. Then we have become a loss to the kingdom of God. Many years ago, we took a trip to London, and we went to the Tower of London, and we were all searched, uh, Lisa, Ralph, and I. In fact, I always carry a book to read because I never know what's going to happen if I don't want to see this or do that. So... They checked everything. They checked the binding of the book. They went through all the pages. They checked our clothes. They checked our, uh, our, our whatever we were carrying. They checked everything. And now the Tower of London is a notorious prison and a place of, extinct, of uh, execution. And the Tower of London is a very secure fortress, and it's uh, and it has it shows all the symbols of royal power. Now there was also at that in, in that tower there the royal jewel collection, all of the diamonds and those you know those head pieces that they wear, gold and, and the clothes. You notice when they go for coronation, you see all those robes. They were all there behind glass in over black velvet. And we saw golden scepters, there were rings, swords, uh, spurs, bracelets, everything you could think of. There was one that was the main one, was a, a gem-encrusted crown that once adorned the heads of England's kings, queens, and princes, dating all the way back to the 14th century. And one of those crowns has 3,000 gems and precious stones. They were, there were guards all over the place. When I looked at that, I said to myself, <laughs> the crown of thorns Jesus wore for us that were embedded on his brow. Think about that the next time you have a migraine headache and you say, oh, I've got to get rid of this headache. Think of what Jesus went through when they put those crown of thorns on him. Think about his bones being pulled out of their sockets when we have an arthritis, arthritis attack. How about those of you who have heart disease? Think of the heart that melted like wax within him when they pierced his side and water came out. That's called a broken heart. How about those who have some form of cancer? Think of his raging fever and collapsed lungs. 
I remember a message our pastor gave us when I was maybe about 11 or 12, and, and he said in the message, picture this, Jesus is under the scorching sun with blood dried and baked on his face, with flies and gnats feeding on his broken flesh, with his lips cracked and his throat parched, and Jesus looked around, he followed him, uh, the ones through the crowd, and his gaze fell off on his disciples, but also on the women. Most of them were crying their eyes out. And then he sees his mother, and he says to John, Behold, take care of my mother. You see, Jesus is dying, and we see a powerful lesson in how to overcome emotional suffering. Most of us increase our pain by dwelling on it or analyzing it. We throw a pity party and expect others to join us. We spend down, uh, into, we end up going into a spiral depression, withdrawing into ourselves. But you know, the best way to overcome all this kind of emotional thing is not to focus on ourselves or the pain, but to focus on the needs of others, maybe somebody else. And you pray and say, Lord, I don't want to focus on myself. I want to focus on the others. You see, with Jesus hanging on the cross, he suffered physical pain, emotional torment that is really beyond our understanding. But the spiritual suffering he endured was even worse. Who is Jesus to you? Is he all you need? Or do we say, well, yeah, it's Jesus and you can add anybody you want. Well, forget about it. Delete it. That goes out. It's just Jesus. He is also the son of God. And that was uh, the title that Jesus used for himself in the Gospels. Uh, You know, we're uh, tempted to ask, well, you know, we hear that Jesus is the part of the Trinity. Yes, he is. And that one Trinity, people, I remember when I was teaching Sunday school years ago, I tried to find ways. How do you explain to a 10 or 12-year-old child? How, then when you have adults, you got it, the same problem. How do you explain to them the Trinity? In fact, uh, in fact, uh, uh, Billy Graham, some young man who got saved, said he went to Billy Graham and he said to him, I don't know about this Trinity stuff. He said, I don't understand it. Well, Billy Graham said to him, you know what? He said, it's in the Bible, but I don't understand it myself. But I used to tell my congregation, when we get to glory and we see God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, we're going to say, that is how it works. You don't have to know everything. It's not for you to know everything. We think God has to tell us everything. You think Jesus has to tell you everything? You think the Holy Spirit has to work according to your plans? No, it doesn't. I pray that we will start seeing all the things that we need to see and only those things. Now, I would believe that all the evil that we are witnessing, the Lord is allowing us to see it. It's been there all the time. He he said to us, it's been there all the time. This is what Jesus has been seeing from the beginning of Genesis 3. So we have to say, Jesus, you're the only way. You know what it says in 1 John 3, 5? It tells us, you know that Jesus appeared in order to take away sins. And in Jesus, there is no sin. People will forever say, well, Jesus was a sinner. No, he wasn't. 
Do you understand that? These are the facts and the things that you have to understand so that you know what the Lord is talking about. In Jesus, there are, there is a sinless son of God who came in the form of man to die on the cross for payment for my sin, for your sin, for you watching on, on that internet. And he's really the sure way to God. Now, we have to understand that we don't understand everything because, you see, we have a lot of what I call DIY religions. Do-it-yourself religions. There's a whole bunch of them out there. You could list them. Every time you turn around, there's a new religion, a new group, another, another one. Oh, this church is good. That's good. And people go to it for a short while, and then they leave. And it's not, it's not the truth. So you see, I remember reading many years ago <clears throat> a book by Chuck Colson. He was the attorney general for uh, President Nixon. He ended up in jail. Then he started a group called Prison Evangelism, Prison Fellowship. And he talked about a prison that he visited in Brazil. And the, this prison had been turned over to two Christians many years ago. And they run it according to Christian principles. And the prison only has two people on staff, and all the inmates do everything else. Each prisoner had another to whom he's accountable. Each prisoner goes to chapel or takes courses in, uh, to understand the, their character formation. How did they get there in prison? And each prisoner is assigned a volunteer family outside the prison that makes them feel like they are part of a family. And many times, that's why people are in prison, because the families have gotten messed up and they don't feel that they belong. But you see, the rate of return for crimes in that prison was only 4%. When in the other prisons that were run with strict people here, there, and everywhere, was 80% return. Now, when Coulson visited that prison in Brazil, he discovered the secret of their success. And a prisoner said to him, oh, Chuck, you want to go see, uh, see uh, where the isolation cell was? And Chuck, Chuck said, yes, I want to go see where that isolation, where men would be there for 12, 14 hours a day with nobody to talk to. Well, when they opened the door, Colson saw a beautiful carved wooden figure of Jesus hanging on the cross. And the prisoner pointed to uh, the figure of Jesus on the cross, and he whispered, he's doing time for all of us. And that's what, and Chuck said he lost it at that point. You see, the cross is the proof that there is no length in which the love of God refuses to go in order to win men's hearts. The cross is the final proof of God's love and the love that demands love in return. If the cross doesn't waken the love in your heart and it doesn't waken the wonder in other people's hearts, nothing will. They'll be just like a bunch of zombies, which we're seeing a lot of today. We see what Jesus did at the resurrection for our life. And it says in the Bible, and that's what Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Jesus said, believe in me. That's what we have to do. Start believing in Jesus. And he said, in my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you so. 
I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again, receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Well, Sister Grace, is Jesus the only way to God? Yes. Because Jesus knows the way to God because he is the very way to God because he is God. You see, the blood of Jesus Christ is sufficient to forgive all of our sins, all of them. And uh, I read years ago about a pastor who had been asked to go to a prison where uh, this woman who had been up uh, was going to die. She was going to be put in the electric chair, and uh, she was going to be executed in a few short hours, and she was desperate to find out if when she had accepted Jesus six years before, if he really forgave all her sin. So, as pastors do, we say those quick prayers, oh, Lord, help me to be able to give an example here and so she can understand her forgiveness. Because you have to remember, you say, well, the pastor just made a quick prayer. Yeah, but the Lord knew her heart. The Lord understood what she was going through. He did not, he may not have known what she was understood, but he had some empathy toward her. But then the Lord gave him a little example. So the pastor said to her, have you ever been to the ocean? And she said, yes. And he said to her, have you seen those small holes in the sand where those little tiny ghost uh, crabs dart in and out? And she said, yeah. He, then the pastor asked her if she ever saw larger holes where the children dig uh, to do deep moats around a sand castle. And she said, yes, I've seen that. Then the pastor said to her, has there been any time in your life that you have ever seen huge holes by machines dredging a channel or burying pipelines in the beach? And she said, yes. And the pastor said to her, turned, he said, what happens when the tide comes to all of those holes? And he answered for her, for her, he said, all the holes are covered by the water. The blood of Jesus is like that tide that washes all the holes of our sins and covers all our sins equally. We have to learn to start saying, praise you, Lord, for sacrificing your blood for us. All of our sins. Oh, some of you. Some I know, some people say, oh, well, I didn't have big sins like they did. We all have sins. So whether they're small, medium, or large, they all fit into the same category of sins. I remember listening to a pastor. He, he was saying that when he first got saved and he was uh, going to become a pastor, and he said to his uh, teacher, he said, well, what's the difference between sin and iniquities? He said, so the pastor, uh, so the head of that uh, class said, uh, I want you to know, he said, all of those words in the Bible mean sin. That's it. It's sin. Don't matter what category of sin it is. Is it iniquity? Is it a this? Is it a that? It's all sin. And you see, the three words that Jesus said from the cross, it is finished. We re read that moment <clears throat> that when uh, Jesus said those words, a giant earthquake had hit the area and it, uh, the rocks were cracked in half. And you know, today, our modern-day culture, Jesus has told us that he went to the grave, he rose from the grave, so that we can rise with him. I will rise. That's what we sing those songs. That's what it means. So today, our modern-day culture tries to keep Jesus buried in the church. The church keeps Jesus buried in tradition and in rituals. 
Even as churchgoers, we keep uh, Jesus buried in holy hobbies. The religious masses keep him uh, buried as a statue of history, and the religious leaders keep him buried in their programs. Uh, And what about us? Do we neglect the things of the Lord? And Jesus said, not only Jesus and this But all the prayers that we are supposed to be doing, all the things. I remember reading from a group uh, of a pastor uh, who was the head of a a large group. And uh, a whole group of people had been invited uh, to go to the seminar because they were considered good people good Christians, and that they knew the word of God. So the one who was leading this uh, seminar, he said to everybody, <clears throat> he said, uh, I want to ask you a question. And he said, uh, what does Jesus expect of you? And there was silence in the room. Now, this was a group of Christian people who were supposedly knowing the word of God. So he asked the question a second time. And again, Another pause. Well, he said, then let me answer the question for you. Jesus expects you to be a failure. But he said, but because Jesus gave you the Holy Spirit, so you do not fail. You see, because he said, I know it's going to happen. And same thing, if I say Jesus expects you to be a failure, everybody gets smug in here and says, well, I'm justified. I can do whatever I want. That's not what it's about. You see, the important thing is that we have the Holy Spirit and that the Holy Spirit will guide us. You know those kids' game operation when they used to hit the wrong thing? It went, eh. Well, that's what the Holy Spirit does to you. See, just like I wasn't kind of come here to play piano. And, and the Holy Spirit nudged me, pushed me, and did what I had to do, what he wanted me to do. So you see, uh, I, Ralph used to carry with him a little, a little thing in his wallet, and he memorized it many years. <clears throat> if you, he used to say, if you meet me and forget me, you have lost nothing. But if you meet Jesus and you forget him, you have lost everything. And just one last word, there are no exit doors in hell. So my advice to everybody is choose wisely and choose Jesus Christ. Amen. How about let's do that little song here, Me and Jesus Got Our Own Thing Going. I think that'd be a good one to close out to. Amen. Stand to your feet if you would. Amen. Let's do it. Me and Jesus got our own thing going. Praise the Lord. Come on, Michaela. Bring him with you.
once was a loser. He went out one day and made an altar out of stone. Well, me and Jesus got a home thing going. Me and Jesus got it all worked out. Me and Jesus. Jesus brought me through all of my trouble. Jesus brought me through all of my trials. Well, Jesus brought me through all of my heartache. And I know that Jesus ain't gonna fail me now. Well, me and Jesus, me and Jesus, I don't think go. Got it all worked out. Said me and Jesus. Got a wrong thing going. We don't need any Last verse, one more time. Well, Jesus brought me through all of my trouble. Jesus brought me through all of my trials. Jesus brought me through all of my heartache, and I know that Jesus ain't gonna fail me now. Sing a church with me and Jesus. song for favorite amen miss that little man but we know he's praising the lord ain't he amen praise the lord with my mama and some other people man just think about what it's like god bless all of you go uh come back to church wednesday night unless the trumpet sounds and if that happens we all be just fine won't we if not we'll see you here wednesday night she said tonight press on amen push through push through your problems and keep serving the lord amen praise the lord 
We hope you were blessed by the live service from Family Worship Center in Athens, Tennessee. Our weekly services are Sunday at 10.30 a.m., Sunday at 5.30 p.m., and Wednesday evening at 6.30 p.m. Watch us live online at www.fwc-tn.com. You can also check us out on Facebook or YouTube. Family Worship Center is located at 250 County Road 378 in Athens, Tennessee. Send all correspondence to Family Worship Center, P.O. Box 118, Athens, Tennessee 37303. For more information, you can call the church at 423-744-0774.